Let us pray together. Father, indeed, we pray that you might stir our hearts this day. May we hear your words and not just the voice of the preacher. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. The story is told of a young teenage boy who lived in the Swiss Alps with his grandfather. And he would love to go out with his grandfather in the crisp air and yell words so that they could hear the echoes coming back to them. And he went out one day and he yelled, Hello! 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 Goodbye! 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 The next day, he had a terrible fight with his grandfather. And he was extremely angry. And he went out of their home and he yelled at the top of his lungs, I hate you! I hate you! I hate you! I hate you! The words kept coming back to the one who had said them, but also to the one who heard them. The most powerful possession that we have can bring great blessing, but it can also utterly destroy those who are very close to us. This powerful possession is not your money, it's not your time, it is your tongue. We've seen James 3 already, but let me read it. No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. For the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. A friend of mine, a beautiful, gracious, great-grandmother, referred to the tongue as the weapon of the woman. Perhaps it is, but no more so than it is for the man. It probably just takes different forms. My friend, really in telling her own story, was, was referring to the woman talking too much or gossip. In my experience, men are just as gossipy, just in different ways. But for the man, it may be the spewing forth in angry words that really devastate. A graveyard found in the English countryside contains the following epitaph on a tombstone. It says, Beneath the stone a lump of clay lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. We've all seen over the years the power and the effect of words, both positive and negative. Some of us have had precious words spoken to us, and it shows in how we view ourselves and the world around us. And some of us have had really, really hurtful words spoken to us, and it shows also our our worldview, our view of ourselves is so often colored by those words. There were some words spoken to me in my youth that... I have trouble shaking. In fact, um, I realized this week as I was preparing for this sermon that they were not just mean and crude. I realized this week that I have never shared them with anyone. 
They were shameful. And I remember the place, who said it, who was with me, the time of day. I also realized this week that I've never dealt with those words or received any kind of healing for them. If I ask you to name the three most positive things, the best compliments that have ever been said to you or about you, what would you say? What about if I ask you to name the three most negative things, the hurtful things that have been said to you or about you, what would you say? And then which one or which ones are the easiest for you to recall? For too many of us, it's the hurtful things that were said to us. The spoken word causes some people to laugh, usually those who say them, and yet they cause others to cry. These hurtful words are so powerful in our lives, and we don't know how to deal with them so often. And sometimes, simply our tears replace the words that our hearts cannot express. For some, the words were so powerful. You do remember the place, who said it, what was going on, what you were wearing, perhaps. You remember it like it happened this morning. And for some of you, perhaps it did happen this morning, because you know what? The preparation and ride to church can be a very, very rough place. And sometimes it says, if we go through enemy territory in getting to church, words are powerful. Zach and Whitney illustrated that. Jack has talked about it. Words like, you will never amount to anything. You never do anything right. Why are you so stupid? Why can't you be more like your brother or your sister? Many here this morning have heard such words. And much, much stronger for some of you. The Proverbs tell us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. If your child is taking piano lessons and you're sitting in the other room from him and you yell out, Can't you ever hit the right note? What he hears is, I can't do this. The power of death is in the tongue. On the other hand, you go up to your child and say, I love to hear you play. What does a child hear? The child hears, I can do this. Life is also in the power of the tongue. Today we're going to be looking at Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 29. And Jeff has been calling us to put off the old self, to put on the new self. And in talking about leaving a life of darkness and being called to walk in light, the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians, beginning with verse 29, hear the word of God. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it might give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. 
Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Obviously, the Ephesians had a problem with the tongue. Many were allowing the old things to creep back into their lives and their dealings with others. And it showed with their tongues. They were using their tongues to express the very things that they were admonished against in verse 31. Their tongues were expressing bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice. This was not just a problem for the Ephesians, though. It's a universal problem that we all struggle with. James has said so. And I come today preaching on this text, not because it's a problem overtly in our church. In fact, by God's grace, we're not chewing each other up. And we're not being ugly with each other. And yet, I know that it is an issue for each one of us. It's an issue for you. And it's an issue... For me. And as I talk about this, some of you may already be ticked with me for saying that you have a problem with it. But James says it, so I'm in good company. You know, um, if I were sitting there in your seat and Jeff were preaching, I might be saying to myself, How dare you? And I might feel some feelings of self righteousness welling up inside of me. And yet, as I examine my heart, it's a problem. Unexpressed, unwholesome thoughts would be wanting to escape my mouth, as they so often do. We've all used the tongue in coarse jesting, speaking words that do not build up or encourage other people in any way. Um, Perhaps we've used it that way to get a laugh. Some of you are gifted in sarcasm. And let me just say, it's a low form of humor that does great harm to others. Paul is not just talking about coarse, vulgar, off-color, four-letter words as he talks about this here. And we do this passage a great injustice if that's all we see when we see, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. The unwholesome talk includes me-centered talk, which fulfills my own desires and wants and demands. They are words spoken to please myself, or perhaps because I just need to, to blow off steam, to accomplish my own goals. An author named Paul Tripp says that they are an attempt to get what I want, to manipulate other people. And in addressing the question of what makes language bad, he says, my intention is really the issue. It's not just a battle of vocabulary. Intention is the key. You could say to me one day if we were talking, okay, Pastor Creech, I'll do whatever you say. Now, you might turn around to a friend and say, I was talking to the pastor and I told him whatever he suggested I would do. With your spouse, you might say, Honey, why talk? You're always right. Or you might say to your son, You better get your act together fast. 
You've given a title of honor, a term of endearment, but you have used it in a mean way. That is unwholesome talk as much as any four-letter word that you could use. Don't use terms of respect in disrespectful ways. We are not free to use our words any way we want. God says to only use words with others that build them up, that gives them grace. Whatever the word is, it has to reach the standard of wholesomeness, that standard that God puts. The Christian not only stops saying unwholesome things, the Christian begins to say things that will indeed build other people up. But only such a word as is good for edification. Right here, at this point in my preparation, I was working, I moved my foot, I bumped a cable going to my computer, my screen blinked and started to reboot. Thankfully, the computer is not a person because it would not have been edified by my words or my thoughts. But in the bumps of life, we react too quickly. We respond and we sometimes blow people away. But you know what? Sometimes our words are even premeditated. We give people titles and labels and names that are downright mean. They often come out of our own hurt, but they come out of the evil in our own hearts. Our words are to edify, to build up, to encourage, and to give life, even if the other person has not been gracious to us. According to the need of the moment, everyone to whom we speak has a need in our dealings with others. We're to take into account the need and to frame our words accordingly. It takes some work. And it seems like we do the worst job here with those who are the closest to us. Instead of speaking words that edify, according to the need, we speak too quickly, selfishly, and often in a controlling way. Just wanting people to snap to and to straighten up. Have you ever said, I never dreamed that he or she would talk to me that way. I hear it sometimes in marriages and in families. And I'm amazed in marriage counseling as two people come in and they can hardly speak to one another. And yet, in premarital counseling, when asked, what are the strengths in your relationship? They said, our communication. We can talk about anything. And then things seem to go south when there are the shouts and the pointed fingers and the accusations, the vocabulary that's inflammatory, the bulging veins on the forehead, the scary threats or the arrow of guilt. And then there's the cornering logic. We tend, as guys, I know because I am one, we tend to lawyer our spouses to death. Now, I am not picking on lawyers. I have a ton of friends who are lawyers. And I think secretly, I might want to be a lawyer. (laughs) Because at home, I so often try to build my case. But you know what? Lawyering does not work at home. Is there a lawyer who would say amen? 
I'm afraid to. <laughs> we take into account the need of the other. We're to speak in a way to edify, that it may give grace to those who hear. How powerful a thought to consider that our very words can give grace to other people, that it might spiritually benefit them. Theologians talk about how we experience the means of grace, how we experience those things that encourage us to grow in our walk in Christ. Theologians say that we grow through the preaching of the Word, through prayer, through the sacraments, and we certainly do grow through those things, but the theologians missed an incredible means of grace. How often do we consider that our words to each other can be a means of grace? Our words are to give grace to those who hear. Our Christian culture is so into presentation and behavior, just right behavior, just look right, just act right. Don't rock the boat. What about our homes? Would yours be described more as a performance treadmill or as a dispensary of grace? God warns fathers especially in this regard. He says in Ephesians 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I'm convinced that a major way that we provoke our children to anger is with the tongue, the words we use. And I understand that they can provoke us to anger in the same way. And yet our children need to hear words that give grace to them. The performance treadmill is also how we relate so often at work and in relationships. At work we do it. We tell people to just do the job, not to bring their issues and problems to work with them. Do you know how hard it is to send your body to work and not the rest of your person and what's going on in your life? Bosses... um, You play such an important role in those who work under you. Do you understand that you have the opportunity in how you relate and the words you use to speak and minister grace to the other people? In fact, that other person may come to understand God's grace in Christ because of seeing and hearing His grace in you and how you relate to them. Young people, what about school? You're about to go back, and I'm really, really sorry. (laughs) But you know what? It's going to be a battlefield. You're going to be called names. And I want to challenge you this morning to not be part of those who would be calling names to others. Your friends need you to be a dispenser of grace to them. The new kids especially need that. This morning, do you want to renew a precious friendship that's withered? Do you want to give new life to your marriage? Do you want to renew your relationship with your child or with your parent? 
change the words that you use. Let your words edify and give grace. Proverbs 15, 23 says, A word in due season, how good it is. And we all long to have such words spoken to us. Jack said, it sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt me. Big, big lie. Not only have we been hurt, but we have all hurt others with our tongue. And it's interesting in this passage because this passage tells us that there's one person that we have all hurt very deeply. In fact, we've caused great grief to this one who is always there for us. Ephesians 4 verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. An amazing verse right here in the midst of words. If I were to ask you, well, how do you grieve the Holy Spirit? You and I would probably come up with a bunch of big, really, really bad sins. Paul, however is saying, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by the words that you speak to one another. When our words give the other person anything less than grace, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. Many times Christians have not worried for a second about grieving the Holy Spirit because we don't understand really who the Spirit is. And we don't even know if He really exists sometimes. In fact, The research done by the Barna Group indicates that while 75% of Americans believe that angels exist and have an effect on their lives, only 45% of those who claim to be born again believe that the Holy Spirit is a personal being. Most people in churches across our nations believe the Holy Spirit is a symbol of God and his presence perhaps, but that he's not a living entity. Can you imagine the grief and sorrow that that must bring to the one who has done so much for someone to have them then deny his very existence? The Spirit here in Ephesians is called holy. The Holy One. The Spirit is holy. And he is the one whose special work is to make us holy. And he's grieved as the Holy One when his work of making us holy is hindered by the speech of those who should be his instruments. Consider what the scriptures teach about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, not just an influence. He has intellectual, rational, and emotional abilities. The Holy Spirit was active in creation. The Holy Spirit is active in regeneration, in calling us to Christ, in convicting us of our sin. The Holy Spirit is active in our sanctification. The Holy Spirit indwells us and seals us, showing and guaranteeing that we indeed belong to Christ. The Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts and produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit teaches us and He intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit is called the paraclete, the one who walks alongside of us. This is the one whom we grieve when our words are unwholesome, when we do not build up according to the need of the moment, when our words do not give grace to those who hear. What do we do if we realize that our words have grieved the Holy Spirit. 
and that our words have damaged other people. In dealing with God, the Holy Spirit, we must repent and seek forgiveness in Christ. And it is free and abundant and gracious forgiveness. Some here perhaps do not like the idea of repenting, but we do not come to Christ without it. The first word of the gospel is repent and believe. Yesterday, it was said of Scott Alexander, a dear friend of many um, here, he's now with the Lord. It was said that he mastered the art of repentance. Scott would blow it, but he would repent. Scripture tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ephesians 4.32 tells us that God in Christ has forgiven us. And we are now to walk in that newness of life in dealing with others. Certainly, if we have offended them with our words, we're to seek forgiveness from them as we're exhorted to do. And if we have been offended and hurt by the words of others, we must forgive. I mentioned earlier in our passage um, that it's written in the context of those things that we're to put off as followers of Christ and those things that we're to put on. And we're to put off words that do not build and edify. And we are to put on, in verse 32, the following things. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also for, has forgiven you. Forgiveness is key here in our being kind and tender-hearted and in our speaking words that do edify and give grace. Christ says in Matthew 18 or 15:18, but the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. If damaging things are coming out of our mouths, we have a heart problem. There may be anger or hurt or lack of forgiveness or many other things, but forgiveness is key. God's forgiveness and our forgiving of each other. A cleansed heart produces words of grace that encourage and edify. When we don't forgive, we're looking in the wrong direction. We are looking at the past with all the hurts and problems rather than at the future and God's promises. Our nation's deserts have both hummingbird and vulture fly over them. All the vultures see is the rotting meat because that is what they are looking for. But the hummingbirds ignore the smelly flesh of dead animals. Instead, they look for the colorful blossoms of the plants that do happen to be there in the desert. The vultures live on what was They live on the past. They fill themselves with what is dead and gone. But the hummingbird lives on what is. They seek new life. They fill themselves with freshness and life. Each bird finds what it's looking for. And so do we. If we're looking for rotting meat, we'll find it. Don't allow yourself, though, to live in the hurt of the past, and then to hurt others. Don't look for what's wrong in every situation. If we look for freshness of life, 
we're going to find it. And the place to find it is in Christ, who himself endured the death and the stench of the cross in order to bring new life to us. How will we know which we find? Rotten meat or freshness of life? I think according to this passage, we could say that we will know by the words that we use. If you get home today and you tear into someone about what's not right, you're playing the vulture with rotting meat. Friends, we're to imitate the Master whose words were so filled with grace that the multitudes were amazed. And we can only do this as we have begun to be transformed by His grace. Jesus was in Nazareth teaching in a synagogue and it was said of Him in Luke 4.22 and all were speaking well of Him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from His lips. Words of grace spoken by the Master, the one we are to imitate. Ephesians 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Christ has given us a new identity. He calls us beloved children. Which echo will you hear? Will you hear the echo of the words you wrote on that paper? Or perhaps the words you didn't write on the paper? Or will you hear the echoes of the truth of God's love for you in Christ? You know, these words that are brought up here, wow, look at that. And there are words that were not written. There's a lot of hurt represented right here. You know, some of these very words that are written here, they're like the squawk of the vulture that fills our minds and echoes continually there. And I want to ask you this morning if you would come with me and if you would offer these up to the Lord. In the Old Testament, there were living sacrifices that were offered to the Lord and we no longer offer living sacrifices because Christ came and He gave His life and He paid the penalty for all of our sin. This fire is just symbolic to us. But would you envision those words said to you? Would you envision those going up to heaven and getting rid of them, perhaps for the first time and a final time? Bono, the Christian songwriter and singer, wrote a very powerful song and he sings it. He says this, What once was hurt, what once was friction, what left a mark no longer stings because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Grace 
makes beauty out of ugly things. And beloved, only God can make beauty out of ugly things. Only God can make beauty out of the things that have hurt so deeply. In Isaiah 43, God tells us that He walks with us through the fire and He walks with us through the water also. He walks through the junk of life. He walks through with us those ugly things. He will never leave us and He will never forsake us. And we must not try to go it alone. Someone said to me recently, I know that God will not give us more than we can handle. Oh, yes, He will. Yes, He will. And that's the whole point. We were not meant to handle life by ourselves. We were meant to trust and believe. That's the point of faith. We cannot handle things by ourselves. As I burn a few of these, would you just pray silently where you are and give whatever it is you need to to the Lord and ask Him to take it up